why is it that the owners would want greater competitive balance? Good morning to you. Good Tuesday morning. I'm Dan Kovacevic of DK Pittsburgh Sports. This is Daily Shot of Pirates. Comes your way bright and early every weekday if you're into football and or hockey. I also offer up Daily Shots of Steelers and Penguins where you found this. We talk a lot about on this program how Pittsburgh, the Pittsburgh market, the Pittsburgh Pirates would benefit from greater competitive balance economically throughout the sport. None of it's a miracle cure. You still have to be pretty good at what you're doing management-wise, but at least it's a fair fight at the outset. That part is obvious. The part that might not be as obvious to some is why the owners would want it. There's a perception out there, and I know this for a fact, because I get a lot of feedback on this particular subject, that teams like the Dodgers, Yankees, Red Sox, and so forth would never be in favor of a cap-type system or any kind of restrictive system because it would hinder their ability to spend as much as they want. Well, there's a couple of problems with that. One is that the current reality is that the competitive balance tax that's in place, luxury tax as it's known, happens to be fairly effective. There's really only one team that blows right through it like they don't care, and that's the obvious one. That's the Dodgers because their funding is virtually limitless. If they had a 50-man roster as opposed to you know 40, they would spend that much more. Why? Because they're cable contract is so spectacularly rich that they can do whatever it is that they want money-wise. Otherwise, though, in 2021, the only other team that crossed over through the existing CBT was, this might surprise you, the Padres, and even then just by a hair. They signed Fernando Tatis to that super big contract, you'll recall, earlier in the year. And that, along with a bunch of other moves, some of which involved the Pirates, put them just like $1 million and change over that figure. So they had to pay into it. Otherwise, the Yankees, the Red Sox, the Angels, the other teams that tend to be up in that range all treated the CBT as a ceiling. The Red Sox specifically treated it as a ceiling to the extreme that they traded Mookie Betts. They said, just can't afford this guy. We're going to stay under this thing. We're not going to throw a bunch of money after no players, which is what the tax forces you to do. You just pay a bill. It is like that. It's a tax. So why would the owners be in favor of that? That's what I get a lot of, especially those owners. The answer to that is a whole lot simpler than you might imagine. This portion of Daily Shot of Pirates is brought to you by our friends at North Shore Tavern that's directly across Federal Street from PNC Park. It's home of Steak on a Stone, 
an eating experience, underscoring the word experience. The steak is brought to you partially cooked on an 800-degree stone, and you do the rest. It's a ton of fun, it's a great meal, and it's a baseball atmosphere like no other in Pittsburgh. North Shore Tavern, right across Federal Street from PNC Park. I make a lot of references on this show to the NHL's lockout 2004, and that's because it's the one and only experience of my career in covering, and I mean firsthand covering, a labor dispute up to and including flying back and forth to New York to meet with people as the NHL and their Players Association were going through a stoppage that lasted a year and a half that cost the sport a full season, a full season, because that's how determined the owners were to get their cap system. And they got it. And one of the most common misperceptions at the time, including mine to a degree, was that the teams in the NHL that were spending a ton were really going to be against this. That was the Rangers, the Maple Leafs, the Canadians, the Red Wings, using Mike Illich and his pizza money. Illich, of course, the late owner of both the Red Wings and the Tigers in Detroit. And you thought, wow, they would just never go along with this. And then they did, eagerly, enthusiastically. And why might that have been? Well, although no one would come right out and say it, once Gary Bettman, the NHL's commissioner then and now, laid out for all owners of all teams how much more money they'd make by going along with this, by sticking to the plan, by not breaking off. And Bettman had threatened to fine anyone, any owner, a million dollars for speaking in any direction about the stoppage while it was going on. And, by the way, did issue that fine to the owner of the Los Angeles Kings at one stage. Million dollars. These owners were, for the most part, like, whoa, wait, what? We can own the franchise. We can be competitive if we're just smart. We can remain aggressive in our approach. Fans will love us. We still get great seats to the games. And oh, by the way, we get even richer. Show me throughout the history of civilization where rich people don't want to keep just getting richer. Show me that. I'm not sure it exists. But if it does, it most certainly did not during the 2004 NHL lockout. And I strongly suspect that it wouldn't if Major League Baseball held out for something similar. This notion that owners are putting in their own money and just will give anything to win is one of the most ridiculous that exists in all of sports. The idea that George Steinbrenner, for example, the late George Steinbrenner, not the current owner, his son, 
was so dedicated that he would just pull money out of his wallet and sell off his old baseball cards so that the Yankees could win is insane. The Yankees were actually pulling in way more than that amount of money. Trivia question for you here. Which is the most profitable right now franchise in the majors? Do you know this? Don't overthink it. It's the Dodgers. The Dodgers are making a massive profit, and yet their owners are seen as so dedicated. They're, they're just so, they'll do anything to win. They're, they're, they're going to eat Dodger dogs for breakfast, lunch, and dinner for the rest of their lives. It's all nonsense. It's all nonsense. If you find a way for the owners to make more money as individuals, as companies, they will go along wholeheartedly. When we come back, just one question. It's time for just one question, and today's J1Q comes from Jonathan Quartek. Looking ahead here, Jonathan asks, unrelated to an actual J1Q, but I applaud your ability to talk about the Pirates 365 days a year. Well, Jonathan, first of all, let me correct you because we don't do weekends on this show. So it's 365 minus like, what, 100? So it's actually 265 or so days a year that I talk about the Pirates. And I'm here to tell you that while it's an immense challenge right now because of the lockout, because of the lack of baseball, uh, I can talk baseball until I'm blue in the face. That'll never go away. Uh, One thing about loving the sport the way that I have from childhood and then going on to be an everyday beat writer at a major daily and being around the baseball team, the baseball players, the baseball men who talk the game with all that extra time that they have, it becomes part of you. This part isn't hard. The part where you want to try to make things interesting (laughs) over the course of time, that's a little bit different. Um, Over the weekend, the Pirates signed a few uh, international prospects the signing period passed. And if you're interested in that, Alex Stumpf, our beat writer at DK Pittsburgh Sports, has a ton of stuff on this, uh, real detailed too, as you would expect from Alex. Two of them were top type players. Now, I could come here and do an episode on those two players, except that I've been on these excursions. I went and made a scouting trip with the Pirates to the Dominican Republic a few years ago. I then made another one to Western Mexico in Mazatlan when they were chasing Luis Heredia around. And Heredia was supposed to be the greatest thing you ever saw. And all these teams and the Yankees and everybody else were all upset that he ended up going to the Pirates. And he ended up being just a complete bust. Got to Bradenton, couldn't handle anything, even like using a big chunk of his money to buy a really nice car instead of investing it, and everything messed him up. And he was a six-pitch pitcher who ended up having not two pitches that he could execute at a professional level. So I've 
always careful to not excessively praise these signings or these prospects because I've seen firsthand that they can fall apart into nothingness in a way that you really don't even see in the draft. These are 16-year-olds, not 18-year-olds. And I could have come on here. Maybe I should do a show about it. I don't know. But that's my point here is is it's a challenge coming up with topics that I think will interest enough people that aren't necessarily super, super diehard uh, and to keep it going day after day after day. Um, That said, I always love a good challenge and I'm definitely up to this one and I appreciate the cue that you sent in, even if it wasn't an actual cue. We will do another one of these tomorrow.